Father, we do uh, thank you once again for the opportunity to study your word. And, and I pray, God, today as we, as we just hang out with this guy named James, and, and Lord, just listen to what he has to say. I ask, God, that it would penetrate our hearts. I'm, I'm a firm believer. He's just a guy writing to guy, people who are doing life and doing church, and they're, they're trying to figure things out, and and. Uh, he comes up with some, some solutions, even some convictions. And, and Lord, I know that sometimes as we, as we can go through different books of the Bible, it can get kind of hard, and, and sometimes hard things are said. But I also know sometimes we need to hear the hard things. So I pray that we would have open hearts today, open minds, and that, Lord, when we receive from you, that we would take what we receive and and uh, just as we were exhorted the last couple times in James, not just be hearers, but be doers of the word. So let this change how we walk with you and let it impact our lives, not just, not just spiritually, but all parts of our lives that, that, Lord, we can be the people that you intend for us to be and, and Lord, that we can live a life that's fruitful, that's full, and not one full of chaos and, and uh, Lord, full of, uh, of, of uh, junk coming our way, but, but Lord, we can rise above that. So I pray that you would have your way today in Jesus' name, amen. As I think about James, and, and uh, we talk about the author James, but you know, I, I just keep going back to, this is the Lord's brother, and he's a little bit different than, than the, other God, the other writers, and especially than, than the apostles. He, he didn't hang out with him for three and a half years. He hung out with him his whole life. But he didn't believe in him till after the resurrection. And you kind of do all that, and, and James, you know, was, was to me kind of later on in life, he got saved, and, and uh, he's so passionate about what he sees. He's, he's one of those people, I believe, that, that kind of came from darkness to light, and, he, and he's going hard, and he's passionate about what people are doing, and, and I respect that. I love that about him, and he's concerned about the church. He cares about the church and how the church is functioning, and it seems like, shouldn't be a shock to us, but it seems like the first century church was a little messed up. That's what I appreciate when we read some of the epistles because a lot of people say, well, if we could have just been around in the first century church, our church would have been perfect. Obviously, you've never read the letters to the first century churches. The church wasn't doing perfect. It won't do perfect until we have glorified bodies. But here's the thing, James is seeing something going on that was, I think, particular to his culture and then every other church culture after that. And it's this whole thing of partiality, prejudice. We live in this body of flesh and we have to deal with things. None of us are perfect. Last night I said, if you are perfect, please sign my Bible on your way out. I would like your signature. Two people offered to sign my Bible, so <laughs> maybe more today, I don't know. But, but we're, hey, we mess up, and they were messing up. And this particular section, this particular thing, James is passionate about. 
And I think it's because God is passionate about it. It's not just James had a, had a, 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 a rub with the church, but he knew the truth and he had seen the truth. L- listen to this. God wrote this in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10. Listen what he wrote. He says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. That was God laying things out, and and James knew that, and I think even greater than that, I think James lived that, but he's not seeing that in his church. And then later on in in, in chapter 16, as God lays out, he says, appoint, I'm gonna paraphrase that part, he says, appoint for yourself judges who will live that same thing, who will will be those who won't show partiality, won't take bribes, will, will have that justice. And God laid that out. And for us as a church, that's what we should be. We should be the same thing. We shouldn't be showing partiality. We, shouldn't, we should be uh, not people not taking bribes and not playing favorites and not doing those things. So as James sees that, he, he kind of closed as he's writing the, the first uh, chapter, and I kind of hate it because he wasn't writing chapters and verses. He wrote out and he said, do not be stained by the world. Remember last week? Don't be stained by this world. And one of the biggest stains the world puts on us is this partiality thing. Because it's who we are. Do you, do you remember in high school, cliques? Always crack me up when people get uptight about cliques. I, I was a guy that I didn't realize there were cliques. And I remember in Bible college, I was the old guy, and one of the young guys came to me, and, and he goes, man, they, they all called me dad. And he goes, Dad, I'm so tired of all the cliques. And, and I go, what are you talking about? There's not cliques in the college. Oh, there's cliques. They're all over. And I go, really? Tell me about them. And so he was naming a few. There's these guys. And, you know, they're the, they're the scholarly guys and, and et cetera. And then there's this group over here. And then there's these guys. And I go, I go and he goes, I can't fit in. And I wanted to say, well, partially because you're a real dork. But other than that. <laughs> and, and so I said, I said, so which clique am I in? I said, which one do I fit in? And he goes, you're in all of them. And I go, well, you see, all you have to be is yourself and quit worrying about cliques. And sometimes we get caught up even in that. And then here's the thing. We're mad at them for being partial, but yet we're being partial towards them and judgmental towards them. And that's what we're gonna look at this morning. So James, listen, James says you're gonna be stained by the world or don't be stained by the world. And then in verse one, he says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality. So he just starts out with a declaration. So he's seeing something and he wants to address that. So he just declares to them, he goes, hey guys, he says, listen, You have faith in God. You have faith in Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of glory. Don't hold that. Don't be be people who show partiality, whether, and we're going to look at whether it's rich or poor, whether it's social, whether it's racial, whether it's an ethnicity, whatever it is. He's not going to bring all those up, but that's what he means. He says, we need to not do that. Why? Because we belong as brothers, listen carefully, to the Lord of glory. Hey, we're all related, whether you like it or not. And I always like to remind you guys, I'm the weird uncle who comes to Thanksgiving dinner. I'm that guy. You got to put up with me whether you like it or not. Why? Because we're family. 
And I love the idea that James starts out here, brethren, brethren, let's remember who we are. And he was a physical half-brother to Jesus, but he's letting everybody else know they're brothers. And, and he puts them in that place. So I think it's important we understand that and, and, and that we, we, we don't just read that and just, yeah, I do, but we start doing that. We start living like we're family. You know, the problem with the church to me today in America is the fact that, hey, if you get mad and you don't like something maybe I say or something we do or somebody doesn't greet you right, you just go to another church. We're family. Do you walk away from your family like that? Not supposed to. And we need to understand that. So here's what he's saying. We gotta work this out, guys. So he says, don't show partiality. Now here was their problem that I think is a problem every generation, verse two. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, fine apparel, and, should, and there should also come in a poor man filthy, in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man you sit there or sit here at my footstool have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts so we need to clarify something this passage is not about rich people and poor people that's not what it's about because people get hung up in that this passage is about how we respect people and how we view people on externals and we don't even take the time to get to know the internals in what's going on. We look at it, we make an assessment and here's the thing that I think if we're all really gut check honest, we get a little bit freaked out when somebody doesn't meet our normal. Now we all have different normal, you know, because we're, we're my, my normal's not your normal, but we get a little bit freaked out, and they don't meet that, and then we begin, like, making some judgments about them, we begin doing things about them, and James is saying, why are you doing that, especially in the church? Now, in that generation, Jews would get, hey, if a Jew in that generation had a lot of money, they did the bling. They wouldn't just wear one ring on a finger or they wouldn't wear rings on every finger. They would wear multiple rings on multiple fingers. They were into, I got this and you need to know it. And then they would dress up real nice. And so here's what he's saying. You have a guy come in who's all decked out and you can tell he's, he's got something. And you treat him different than the guy who comes in who's a little bit shabby. He says, that shouldn't be happening. Why would you do that? Now, when I teach this here at Calvary, it doesn't apply a whole bunch because part of this, the, the dress up part, because we don't dress up. You know, as, as a matter of fact, I think we're, we're a little bit more prejudiced if somebody dresses up, we tell them, could you sit out in the lobby, please? You're like freaking us out. <laughs> but... Do we have a different attitude? Here's, here's, I believe, what James is communicating is just because somebody might have wealth, we begin to think they're automatically smarter, they're morally better, they're in a, you know, we hold them in a higher position. He says, why do you do that? Just because they have wealth. 
And that's what they're doing. And he says, man, that should not be. And you're holding this thing. Listen, he says, he says, you become judges with evil thoughts. You're elevating one person simply on externals and you're devaluing the other one rather than looking at people. Look past all of that. And, you know, and, and, and you know, I feel, like, I feel like our fellowship is a mixture of everything. And I love that. I love the idea that, that we're pretty diverse. I think we could be more diverse, but we're pretty diverse. And we have a mixture. We have, you know, we have people from, uh, I think, from a lot of different areas. And like I said, some of us look at some people and we go, they're not normal, but I'm going to love them anyway. And then, you know, vice versa, and it goes on. But here's the thing. In our hearts, how are we really feeling? James is going, you've got to check yourself. Because this gets down to the nitty gritty and he, said, he says, man, especially when you come to that place and you judge him with evil thoughts. Now I have, I have got some response a, a little bit. Uh, it's interesting to read what some people write. Someone was upset because the ushers, when, when they came in, just said hello and sat them. And I'm thinking, well, what did you expect them to do? Did you expect them to like have a conversation and you know, bring you coffee and donuts and different things? And then someone else said, the people around me during greeting, they weren't very nice. My immediate response to that is, were you very nice? Hey, we can put up barriers and we can do that and we have to be careful. And a lot of times, two people who are visiting are sitting next to each other and they're both visitors. And so they're, they're, they're not real embracing that way. And we need to understand. So here's the thing. We're going to try greeting again this morning because you maybe blew somebody off. So we're, no, we're not going to do that. Wouldn't that be fun to do, though? Maybe you ignored somebody purposely. Maybe you, you know what? Maybe you got up this morning and looked and went, not him. So if you did that, let them know after service what you did. But are we, are we really people who we care? And last night somebody did inform me, our greeting time's not long enough to get to know somebody. Our greeting time is not a time of introducing and getting to know somebody and building a relationship. <laughs> That's not gonna happen if we did it for an hour. It's like, hey, meet somebody, get their name and stuff, and talk to them afterwards. We have a coffee house. You can have coffee afterwards. And I'm trying to tell them, and here's what's funny. They were talking to somebody they knew for a long time afterwards for 35 minutes and didn't talk to anybody they didn't know. Think about what we do. It's not what you say, James says. It's what you do. So here he pulled this out, and he goes, hey, if you do that, you're blowing it. And then verse 5 Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the, poor, chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man. Now, I, I, gotta, I gotta say something here. James is like speaking in, in, general, in general terms. He's not, he's not saying every poor person is rich in faith, and, and we're gonna read in a minute, every rich person is a horrible individual. He's speaking generally, and here's what he's saying, man. God, God generally will take a poor person. Why? Because poor people are a little bit more open. Have you shared the gospel with people? Have you ever noticed people who are hurting 
are more receptive to hear what you have to say generally than people who are doing really well and secure and, and don't have to worry about things. So he's saying, hey, they're rich in faith. I think in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote this, and this is, this is in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter one. He's writing to the church there, and he says, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many were wise according to the flesh, not many my, mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And letting us know you're not, just because you're walking with the Lord, you're not all that. I kind of like to be reminded, I, I think of our movement, this thing called Calvary Chapel, you know, there are people who have come to me over the years and asked me where I went to school, and when I tell them, they're a little disappointed. They ask me where I got my education, how I did these things, and because sometimes we think that matters. No, what matters is a person loving Jesus or not. And we need to be those kind of people. So he says, hey, he goes, you know what? He goes, you need to understand that some of these people that we may automatically disqualify that God has done something great in. And watch out. It could be that one person. And then, and then I even love this idea. In Hebrews it says sometimes angels show up and you don't even know it. Maybe that person you blew off this morning during greeting is an angel and you didn't know it. That's a little freaky, huh? So pay attention and don't judge by appearances and don't automatically assume certain things, especially by the way a person's dressed, especially by the way. Now, not, not talking about dressing you know, immorally, but I'm talking about just well, how, they're, how they're put together. And so we gotta be careful on that. And then on the flip side, he says this, he says, hey, you don't do that. And then on the flip side, in the middle of verse six, he says, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Now, once again, not every rich person is in this category. We have to be careful. But what I find fascinating is some of the people we hold to a real high standard are people who do the last part, they blaspheme the name of the Lord. I think in our culture, in media, when I think in media, whether you're talking television, movies, the music, news, all of those people, we go, oh, they're so important. Yet they blaspheme the name of our God. Why would we hold them that high? And why would we do that? And he says, be careful. James says, watch what you're doing. And then on the flip side though, don't automatically, just because someone's doing well, it sometimes bothers me when people will say, well, you know, so-and-so drove in the parking lot in such and such car. Why are you judging him? What do you care what they're driving? And it bothers me when I hear that. And now, now here's a confession of mine. I've told this story before. When we, had our, when we had our pottery studio, I'd gotten saved. We were doing some ministry work in Mexico with the Tarahumara Indians. We had put together a Jesus film. We were showing it. We were doing outreaches and uh, going down to Mexico a lot into the tribal area. And Gaynell and I would buy different crafts from the Indians and put them in our, I know you're not supposed to use that term, but it's okay. But we would, we would put them in our shop and uh, we would sell them, but we would also use that as a witnessing. So we had a, we had a little corner of our studio, and we would have all of the, the different stuff from the, the tribe down in Mexico. And it would be a way where we could get some money to pump money back into them. And then it was also a witnessing tool. People would ask us about it, and then we could talk about, yeah, it's a tribal work. We do missionary work, and do you know Jesus? 
So kind of that's the background. So a guy pulls into our, into our parking lot in a really, really, really nice Corvette. And he pulls in, and he get, as he's getting out, here's my thought. Man, this guy needs Jesus bad. That's what I'm thinking. Poor guy. So he comes in, and we're chatting a little bit, and he kind of makes his way around, and, and I'm thinking, man, God, you know, do you, do you ever do this? Guide him right to that stuff, Lord. Get him over in the corner. And he goes right to it. He goes right to it, and he's looking at it. And, and so we're chatting, and then, and then I begin telling him, yeah, you know, this comes from the Tarahumara Indians. We, we do ministry there. We, we, and the whole time I'm thinking, he needs to get saved so bad. And, and so I'm telling him everything, and, and I said, and we do this outreach with the Jesus movie. He goes, I know, I financed that. <laughs> oh, I guess you don't need Jesus. I guess you already have him. Now, that's, listen, that's some confession because I was automatically, I was kind of doing the opposite of this. Just because he was well off, I automatically put him in a category that was wrong. And we can tend to do it both ways. So I just want to caution us so we, we don't get caught up in this thing of categorizing people by what they, you know, what they wear, what they drive, etc. Beware of that. But he does say, why are, you, why are you catering to these people who are oppressing you? Now, something else to kind of keep in mind, in a first century church, people were getting saved from, you know, all walks of life. Most of them were Jews, and a lot of the Jews had slaves, and can you imagine going to church one day and your slave is sitting next to you? That would be, that would be a little bit awkward, huh? Why are you here? I don't know, why are you here? I got saved yesterday. Yes, so did I. So you have that going on too, and, and, and they have to deal with that. So then James goes a little bit further, and listen what he says. Verse 8 kind of is, a, uh, is a, the, to me, the, the pinnacle. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Now James lets us know, hey, here's the deal. Are you going to do the word rather than just read the word or say the right things? Notice he didn't say, if you memorize this verse, if you say this verse, if you read this verse. He said, if you really fulfill this. And he, I, I kind of like the idea, he calls it the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now he is quoting out of Leviticus. He's quoting Leviticus 19, verse eight. But why does he call it the royal law? You know, when I was growing up, my mom always told me about the golden rule that's not in the Bible because people take this verse and kind of twist it and, and manipulate it, massage it so they can fit it into their life. And, but yet James, and I checked out all the translations and that royal law is in there. I thought, well, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe the New King James did it wrong, maybe the King James did it wrong. And why, why is it interpreted or why did he put it down that way? Here's, here's what I believe. Do you remember when the Pharisee came to Jesus and said, which is the greatest law? We gotta remember, there's 613 laws. It's a lot to keep track of, kinda hard. And most of us have broken most of them. And then there's the 10. You go from 613 to 10. And most of us have broken most of those. 
And then you come down to two. Remember, Jesus said, they said, what's the greatest law? And he said, the greatest law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And all of us have broken that one. And then he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I think James calls it the royal law because the king spoke that law and boiled all of the laws, 613, down to two. And you don't even have to keep track of 10. And we blow it on those two. We can't even do those two. I mean, here's the whole thing. You know, you, you, you know when you teach a kid like to ride a bike, you put training wheels on? So God gave us training wheels, two little laws, and we can't even get those going right. So don't worry about the 10 or the 613. Work on the two. And then here James says, why don't you just work on this one? Why don't you love your neighbor? Here's what he says, man. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know, I know a lot of people say, no, I don't love myself. Well, you're wrong. The Bible's right. Just saying. Bible says we love ourselves. We care for ourselves. We clothe ourselves. We feed ourselves. We have compassion on ourselves. I don't like it when I'm treated bad. Well, do I not like it when others are treated bad? He goes, James says, why don't you just start in the church, in the church, why don't we start doing this? Why don't we love others as ourselves? Let's, let's just do it in here. You don't, even have to, you don't even have to go out there to do it. It's hard to do it in the world. Well, why don't we do it with one another? We're supposed to be family. Why don't we love each other, embrace each other, care about each other, be concerned about each other? Hey, if we can't do it in here, how on earth are we gonna do it out there? And that's the big challenge that James gives us. And I think, listen, I think it's a great time. New year, we can look at some things, we can make some decisions in our lives, and we can even maybe set ourselves up so we can do better at this. I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago, and they were telling somebody they went to Calvary Chapel. I always like to hear what people out there are saying. And this person said, oh, you're going to a safe church. Well, what they meant it as a derogatory remark. They meant that we're not doing crazy things, we're not doing this, it's safe. I took it as a compliment. You see, I think we should be a safe church. This should be a safe place. Hey, I go out in the world and I get beat up. The world's not nice to me. I should be able to come here and be safe. And I believe that's what James is saying to you and I. In the church, why on earth would we show partiality when this should be the safe place? This should be the place where we come, where we can embrace one another, where we can be ourselves. You know, at home, I can be myself. And I can be free. Shouldn't we be able to do that in the church? And James is saying, man, fulfill this law. And oh, he goes further because now it gets a little sticky, verse nine. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. You might want to underline that. If you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Most of us don't think, hey, we do something, we think, and we just blow it off. Well, I did that, and we make all these excuses. No, if you show partiality, you commit sin. And you want to be free from that? Then admit to God you committed a sin, and my Bible says he'll forgive you of your sins. But you got to talk to him. If you, keep re, if you keep redefining it and call it something else and try and fix it, you're going to wrestle with that and wrestle with that, wrestle with that. And then he says you're a transgressor of the law. 
Now, James is getting a little bit picky here, and I think it's a good thing. He says, hey, you're a transgressor of the law. He, in, verse, uh, in verse 10, for whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble at one point, he's guilty of all. So you break one of those 613 laws, just one, you've broken the whole law. You can't say, I, I kept most of it. Here's, here's what God, God's grading thing, you know, some people grade on the curve. God says, you 100% or none, period, period. And then he uses this illustration. I don't, I don't, I gotta be really honest. I don't quite get his illustration here. Verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. I understand that, but I'm thinking, why did he pick those two to bring up? Like, I don't know too many murderers who are in for murder and say, well, at least I never committed adultery. <laughs> you heathen. I only kill people. You commit adultery. I don't like, you know, that kind of like doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I would almost think it would be the other way around. You know, you commit adultery and, and then he'd go, well, at least I never killed anybody, right? But James says, hey, I just go around killing people, but I don't commit adultery like you. But here's his point. You break one, you've broken both. And we need to understand that. And we can't, we cannot make these excuses. And, and I think we tend to do that as a church. We, we tend to try and massage it and make it okay. And he says, hey, you become a transgressor of the whole law. So here's the, now, here's how we get out of this because we gotta have some, some application, right? So verse 12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. So now he's saying, hey, you and I, we need to live our lives that we know we're gonna be judged not by God, the, the law in the Old Testament, but the law of liberty. What is the law of liberty? Well, you and I have been showing grace if you're saved today. You've been showing grace by Jesus Christ. Are you showing grace to others? That's the law of liberty. We've been set free from the bondage of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you binding other people up? Are you judging others? Are you looking at others and, 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 and picking on their life, their lifestyle, what they're doing? Hey, they shouldn't be living like that. It always bugs me when people start, you know, tearing other people down around them that they don't even really know. And James says, hey, you need to know something. You need to speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, letting us know we're all gonna face, face some kind of judgment. For, verse 13, judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no, for judgment is without mercy to one who shows no mercy. Matthew chapter 18, you can read that for homework. I didn't put that one up there, but write down Matthew 18. Remember when Peter came to Jesus and said, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Remember, and he's being all magnanimous, saying I'll forgive him seven times because I'm Pete. And Jesus goes, golly, when are you going to grow up? Not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he tells him this story. And I'm not gonna tell you the story, so you read it. But James isn't saying kind of a, quote, a law here. Here's what he's saying. If you're not showing mercy to others, that means you don't understand mercy. And that generally means you've not accepted the mercy, the grace of God in your life. If you understand your sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ for no other reason, 
How could you not be merciful to other people? How could you not look at others through compassionate and caring eyes? So he says, hey, if you judge without mercy, then you're gonna be the one who has shown no mercy. But listen to this. Mercy triumphs over evil. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When God had them build the Ark of the Covenant, he put the whole Ark of the Covenant together and he put the law inside the ark. And then what did he put on top of the law? The mercy seat. Yeah. And then the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And we should know that. And once you understand that, it will make you a more merciful person towards others. And then you're not gonna be this whole judgmental guy. You're not gonna be that person who you're gonna look at everybody according to their outward status You know what I love about when I read the Gospels and see Jesus calling the disciples and bringing them to himself and and he gives us some of their names and sometimes some of the things. Jesus never looked at those men for who they were then. He looked at them for the potential in their life. And he saw the potential. He didn't judge them by their past. He didn't even judge them by their present. He judged them by their potential. Shouldn't we start looking at other people that way and understand that in every person in here, there's tremendous potential by the grace of God as he works in their lives. So let's be a church that's more loving. If people say we're not loving, we should probably work at being loving, right? Probably step up on that. Some of you are going, I am not doing that, dude. No way. That's okay, you don't have to. We got others who will make up for you. But greater than all, listen carefully. We're gonna hear this over and over. Let's be doers of the word. Here's the challenge. You're either gonna do this or not. We went through a Bible study. You might have even liked parts of it. You might have hated the whole thing or you might have really loved it. And that doesn't matter. What matters is are you going to do it? Is it gonna become part of your life? Let's stand up and pray.